Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. We're going to be diving into our series this morning, which is called Trellis. And trellis is a picture of something that holds up grapes, it holds up vines. And this picture was used by the early church to talk about the role that spiritual habits and rhythms take place to help us encounter the love of God. It's a really beautiful image. And so we're talking this whole fall about certain rhythms and habits and disciplines in our life that don't make us more holy or get us closer to God, but rather they just open ourselves up to the God who's already pursuing us. They draw his presence, really draws our awareness to his presence that's all around us. And so every week we're focusing on two different disciplines. And at the end of this series, we're going to spend a Sunday talking about what's called a rule of life or you guys, for your life, your life stage, your family, you guys are going to be um, kind of developing your own trellis, your own set of practices and rhythms and values based around that. So we're really, really excited for that. And so this week, we're talking about the practices of fasting and feasting. Now, when you talk about spiritual disciplines, they're normally separated into two categories, upstream disciplines and downstream disciplines. Um, The upstream disciplines are ones that are hard. They're hard for us to do, but they're good for our souls. They shape us. And the downstream disciplines are exactly what it sounds like. They're easy, right? You're just kind of floating along. It's where you connect with God most naturally. Now, when I talk about feasting and fasting, I'm I'm guessing most of you I know which ones you're upstream and which ones you're downstream, (laughs) right? Like there's not like a lot of mystery there. Not a lot of people, when you hear the fasting, you're like, yes, I love sermons on fasting. I'm so excited for this. Um, but when you hear a sermon on feasting, you're like, this is my kind of church, right? Like, this is, this is why I signed up for this. So we specifically put these two together to, uh, to be able to actually work um, to show, strangely enough, that a lot of them actually have a lot of parallel. They're working towards the same goal. Uh, But I want to talk about fasting first. Uh, But to do this, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about giving, praying, and fasting. And when he gets to this section on fasting, he says this, When you fast, which, stop right there, there is an assumption that Jesus has for his followers that this is something that they're actually already participating in. Um, Now, We don't carry that assumption anymore. Uh, Fasting is no longer, largely within kind of Western Christianity, something that is just common. And so this is something that takes a little bit of work for us to understand why do we fast. And at the same time, knowing that Jesus' audience is primarily at this point Jewish, and the Jewish audience fasted twice a week from the time they woke up till sundown. And so that was on Wednesdays and Fridays. And so Jesus is assuming that he's not stopping this for his followers, but he gives them this idea of how to think about fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, but they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, secret will reward you. If you skip down a few verses, I've never really connected these two thoughts before, but Jesus continues to talk about your relationship to food. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stir away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. And so this, this assumption that we fast as followers of Jesus does not tell us to fast two days a week, but it assumes that this is a part of our rhythm. But he says something that he's also assuming that the people who are fasting do it in such a way that's going to gain them some sort of social reward. Now, again, this is a little bit hard for us because we live in a culture that doesn't have social rewards for religious activity, for the most part. If anything, you might be more ostracized for it. And Jesus is saying that the way that people are fasting is to kind of gain attention, to gain some sort of reward. And he's saying that your fasting is actually connected to God who's unseen. There's something secret, there's something interior about this practice of fasting that you need to pay attention to. And, um, and, I, and the reason I bring that up is because we live in a culture that when it talks about fasting, normally it's through the lens of like a nutritionist, right? Or intermittent fasting. Anyone had that conversation the past couple of years? Like, what are you doing? Intermittent fasting? Like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> You know, you're 16 hours, 18 hours, like, what are you doing? Um, and there's like podcasts and books all about the benefits of doing things like that. I have to be honest, though. And in, in all those conversations, I've never had one about spiritual benefits. They've been about physical, cognitive. Um, and, and granted, there, there are those benefits, and they're great. But Jesus seems to be after something different. And, but I also want to say a couple of things. One is fasting is not easy, right? It's hard. I remember the first time I did a long fast. It was like the third day I was in college. And I'm climbing the stairs in my dorm. And I trip. I don't know why I tripped, but I hit my knee. And it was so painful, I passed out. Uh, I was like, no blood sugar. And, um, and it was this... It was, like, it was like, okay, I think I need to eat some food. I ended my fast. It was like not like a very spiritual moment. Jen, one time, doing a long fast. Um, she's not here, so I can tell you this story. Uh, we had to ask her about it. It was probably, I think, probably three days in. Uh, we're at like, she was doing a three-day fast, and it ended at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> that was not planned. We just happened to be there with some friends, and we started all like daring each other to have the, the hottest flavor. And, and yes, she did. She survived, but she ended her three-day fast having the hottest um, flavor that you could have, which I'll, I'll let you fill in the rest in terms of like how that worked out. Um, but our, our relationship to fasting is interesting. It's, it's also, I recognize that even as we go into this conversation, that there are some people that their relationship to food are not eating, uh, brings up other struggles and pain. And I would just say, um, as we're talking about the practice of fasting, 
If that's an area of your life where like you know, your relationship to food or not eating is one that's a struggle, um, this doesn't have to be, this is not mandated for you to do. If, if anything, you should enter into that with a level of, of care and accountability. Um, but I would say for the most part, our, our relationship to food within our culture is one that is built around pleasure. It's built around maybe for some of us health. Um, it's, it's built around convenience. And all of those markets and economies are built around people who are studying the, the human condition. But what we want to do is fasting actually puts a halt and a stop to one of our primary drives as a human being that we have in order to survive. But it serves four different purposes. So I'm going to give you these four different purposes of why the Bible invites us to fast. One is to offer our bodies to Jesus. It's an act of worship. It's not an act of worship with your voice or with your mind. It's an act of worship with your body. Secondly, it's to grow in holiness, to set yourself apart. Thirdly, it's to amplify our prayers, um, both to speak and to hear God. And fourthly, to identify in compassion. So, um, let's kind of work through these four different things. Like I said, it's going to be a shorter sermon this morning, so feel free to kind of take notes along the way, but just a few thoughts on each one. Number one, it's a fasting is a way we can offer our bodies as worship. First um, Corinthians six nineteen through 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, Paul is addressing a certain situation in terms of sexuality within the church. But the principle here is still profound, that our bodies are not something that are less spiritual, that God is not concerned with, but it's something that he invites us to offer to the Lord. And so it's a way for us, when we fast, we are becoming intrinsically aware of our body, of our hunger, of the things that we're longing for. And so we want to be able in those moments that as we hunger for that next meal or for the foods you miss, um, all of those are moments where we realize that our deepest hunger is God. That Jesus is the fulfillment and the satisfying agent of that hunger. Secondly, fasting is for holiness. And so uh, there's four things John Mark Comer points out that I find um, really concise and intriguing in terms of how this cultivates holiness in our hearts. Number one, it's weaning us off the pleasure principle. Secondly, it's revealing what's in our heart. Thirdly, it's reordering our desires. And fourthly, it's drawing on the power of God to overcome sin. So I love what St. Augustine says. He says, why fast? Because it is sometimes necessary to check the delight of the flesh in respect to licit pleasures in order to keep it from yielding to illicit joys. So Augustine has a lot of his work, if you've ever read Confessions, is around the idea of desire. That desire, um, for the most part, the, wor- the world has taken two stances. One, for the Gnostics and even some kind of more the kind of the Buddhist tradition, Eastern tradition, desire is bad. 
that you need to subdue it, you need to overcome it, desire is ultimately going to lead to destruction. Secondly, that desire is something, and this is kind of the other camp, and this is for more um, kind of postmodernism or the hedonism kind of camp, is that pleasure is to be fulfilled, desire is to be fulfilled. The reason you have desires, the reason you're hungry is you're supposed to eat to be survived. So that means every desire you have is for you to act on. And what Augustine, much of the church throughout history has said, according to the teachings of Jesus, is desires are not supposed to be suppressed and desires are not supposed to be fulfilled to whatever fleshly desire you want. Your desires are supposed to be stewarded. They're to be reordered according to the way of Jesus is recognizing that your desires, almost every single one of them, even the ones that lead to sin, underneath that sin is some, most oftentimes a desire for beauty or for pleasure. It's, it's things that ultimately will lead you to God. And so there is this, this thing where our, when we fast, we take one of those desires that is a good desire. And by saying that we're not going to live our life ruled by that desire, it actually strengthens our ability to practice that same muscle when it comes to illicit pleasures, the things we should not be doing. And this is why I think it's brilliant that for, for many of the followers of Jesus early on, for the Jewish people, fasting was not something you do just when you needed to figure out God's will for your life. Fasting is something you did all the time because it works that muscle of self-discipline. It works that muscle of reordering desire. It begins to kind of fulfill that thing inside of you. Um, Yesterday, uh, last couple days have been a little interesting in our household. Um, Thursday, we had a burst pipe uh, in our house that uh, ended up a plumber coming out Thursday and Friday. And um, he's like, yeah, we're going to have these people have to come out and figure out how much the damage was. And so the people coming out with the moisture readers came up and essentially said, it's everywhere. Like, so all of our flooring, our drywall, and the hallway, and kitchen, and bathroom, and garage, I mean, and the, pi- the pipe is like this small. And I was talking to the plumber, I'm like, what happened? Um, I'm like, is it a really old pipe? And he says, he's like, uh, it, you know, it's not that old. He says, what happened is you have a regulator outside that regulates how hard the pressure is coming into your pipes and it's like and it's been broken i just thought i had great water pressure right i just i just thought the lord had shine on our family with with favor people come in turn on our sink like wow that's amazing water pressure i'm like i know i mean favor ain't fair you know like just the lord has blessed us what i didn't know is that without that regulator that it was pushing water so hard through the pipes that it burst. And so the very first thing he did after he found the leak and repaired it is that he fixed the regulator. And so the, the good news is we probably won't have any more pipes that burst for a while. The bad news is our water pressure is not as great as it was. Um, slash we're out of our house for a number of weeks. But uh, we... Uh, the reason I bring up that story is, one, I'm a pastor. You can't go through something like that and not turn it into a sermon illustration. Um, but secondly, um, I found it really interesting that, that how fasting oper- operates like a regulator. It reminds you that if, if unchecked, your desires and your drives will rule your life. And honestly, that's a sign of immaturity. 
what children, what, why children need parents is because without parents regulating for them, they would have a steady diet of jello and cake. <laughs> why? Because it's a desire for that sweet taste. And so maturity marks your life when you have this right relationship. So my encouragement to you, if you have not instituted fasting as a, as a regular rhythm of your life, to, to tune in to the desires that you have. These are, again, desire food for food is a God-given, blessed, good desire, but it's one that you should monitor because why? Because then you can steer it and turn it into really, okay, God, you are what I ultimately want. You are what I'm satisfied in. Um, thirdly, is prayer amplifies our prayers, and this is an interesting one, but fasting aids in both hearing God and being heard by God. Uh, take a look at Acts 13.2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And this, this pattern shows up all in the book of Acts. What are they doing? They're worshiping the Lord and fasting. This is a corporate fasting event. And while they're fasting as, as a community, God speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks to them, says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who is also named Paul, for the work of which I've called them to. Um, if you've ever struggled with hearing the voice of God, I would encourage you to try fasting. Just, there's something about how it, it, it increases and heightens your sense to hear what God's doing. Um, but secondly, not only does it aid in our ability to hear God, it actually aids in our ability to be heard by God. Now, Jesus makes it very clear, before you even ask anything, um, God knows what's, what you're going to ask for. So he doesn't, it's not aiding it in that sense. But what it is doing is that we see a biblical pattern that when there's something you are interceding and contending for, it's something that you are are just really believing for breakthrough or a miracle. What we find is um, Daniel 9, 3 says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Esther urged Mordecai the Jews to fast for her um, as she planned to appear before her husband, the king. Matthew 17, 21, when they're delivering this, or Jesus delivers his boy from this demon, and they're asking about it. He says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There's something about this biblical model that when there is a, a, a need for spiritual breakthrough, that fasting often accompanies prayer. Uh, number four is, and kind of final in terms of fasting, um, and one that I didn't ever grow up really hearing about, is fasting actually helps you identify um, in compassion that when we fast, we actually are reminded that we have brothers and sisters around the world that are not choosing to fast. They do not have a choice. It enters into their pain. It helps us to identify with the poor. Now, in, in a place like this, not only do we have food accessible to us, we have our choice of food. Like, if you don't like the organic kale at that cafe, you can go have that organic kale over here. If you don't like their cassava wrap, you can go over there and do their flaxseed wrap. Like, we have all these, like, we, we actually have a heightened ability to choose what we want. When we fast, we're reminded that many in the world 
are hoping for a meal. And this is a powerful element of fasting. And a matter of fact, in a culture that was fasting two times a day, when they forgot this, God reminds them in Isaiah 58. He says, why have we fasted, they said, and you have not seen it. So they're complaining to God, like we're fasting. Take care of us. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on that day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. This is now God speaking to them. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. And so this is, this is a moment where they're saying, like, God, we're fasting. And he says, you've kind of missed a very important part of the fasting I've chosen. And it's to actually to come and to loosen the chains of oppression. It's to care for the poor. It's to enter into that space. And so just as, just as a reminder, why, why the, the practice of fasting? To offer our bodies to Jesus, to grow in holiness, to reorder our desires, to amplify our prayers, both the ones we hear and the ones we give, and to identify in compassion. And so I wanted to kind of leave that with you and, and invite you to do something we, um, I don't think we've done before. We're going to invite our church to a day of fasting. So if you, um, and what this will look like is sun up to sundown, um, if you would like to join us. We're going to do this on November 7th, which is going to be the night of worship in downtown. So it will culminate on us gathering together and worshiping. So um, if you guys want to even just take out your phone, just mark in your calendar or write in your journal. So November 7th, if you'd like, uh, just to join in, we're going to do this together. We're going to take a time in that day. You know, some of you guys are already thinking, like, I'm going to wake up. You're checking, like, when the sunrise is. So I'm like, okay, if I get a good breakfast in right now, you know, sunsets, you know, carry the two. Like, okay, you're having a meal over here. Um, that's fine. Um, but the idea is... Let's say around the lunchtime hour, um, as, you're, as you become aware of your hunger, um, pray. Join us in prayer. We're going to give you guys some things to pray about, but also you can pray for anything that's going on in your life. And then the last thing we want to talk about this morning before we dive into some things a little bit different is feasting. Um, he goes like, oh, finally, we made it through. Um, some of you guys are like, is feasting a spiritual practice? And the answer is, is yes. We talked about this actually quite a bit at our church. Um, Luke 5, 27-32. If you guys want to turn there with me. After this, 
Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large, large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Arthur Burroughs says this, If you can read the Gospels without getting hungry, you are not paying attention. <laughs> um, just two simple thoughts about biblical feasting. This is not feasting in uh, kind of our culture, but in terms of the Bible, two things, just two simple thoughts. Number one is feasting in a biblical framework makes you look around to who hasn't been invited to the meal. This is exactly what Jesus did. They weren't complaining that Jesus was eating, they were complaining about who Jesus was eating with. And in a culture where who you sat with at the table defined so much of your beliefs and who you were with in your social class, Jesus specifically did this in a way that drew people in who would never be invited to the table. Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says that Jesus is handing out party invitations. Then they read, you are invited to my party in the new creation. Come as you are. The religious leaders agree that there was a party and there was an invitation, even that it was possible to attend. But when the religious leaders passed out the invitations, they did not say, come as you are, they said. You have to get changed. You have to get cleaned up. And as a result, people didn't come because they didn't think they were good enough. And the last thing is this, is that biblical feasting doesn't make us just look around. Biblical feasting makes us look up. So I'm going to read you um, just a, a slew of quick verses of when feasting shows up in the Bible. Psalm 23:5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Isaiah 25, 6, God will prepare a feast of rich food for his people. Luke 22, 30, You may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Matthew 8, 11, Take their place at the feast with Abraham in the kingdom of God. Matthew 22, 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a great banquet, says Jesus. Luke 14, 15. Blessed is the man who gets to feast in the kingdom of God. Revelation 7, 16. Never again will they hunger and thirst. Robert Kaplan says, While food keeps us alive, its eternal purpose is to excite our senses in preparation to the day when we will sit down at the heavenly banquet and see how gracious our God is. Food is the daily sacrament of unnecessary goodness ordained of a continual remembrance that the world will always be more delicious than it is useful. And so I, I love this, that food is a daily sacrament. It's reminding us, it's helping us look up, it's reminding us of what is actually coming our way. So I want to just conclude with this, this verse. Is Isaiah 55, and this is an invitation, I think especially for all of us, but for those who maybe have never come and understand that we can feast on the presence of God, the goodness of who Jesus is. Isaiah 55 says this, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? 
in your labor and what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight of the richest affair. You bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you so much that you are what our soul is actually longing for. Or that anything else, Lord, it's you. So, Lord, I pray that when we fast, we would be reminded that you are the bread of life, that we'll never go hungry when it's you that we feast on. And Lord, I pray for when we feast, that we would not feast as the world does, but as you did, looking around and inviting those to the table who otherwise would not be there. And Lord, I pray that you would also just allow us to remember, Lord God, that you are preparing a table right now in the presence, Lord God, where enemies will no longer have any power. Lord God, and our cup will overflow for all of eternity because of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Thank you.